Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad you guys are here this morning. It's good to see you. If you're first time here, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the elders, I serve as a pastor here at Bergen Park, and we're glad that you've gathered with us. Hey, what we've been doing over the last... Uh, really month and a half is going into the Psalms and discovering what does it mean to truly open our heart before God. There was a survey a while back that talked about how even in prayer, often as Christians, we're not really honest with God, that sometimes we share what God wants to hear, that we don't dive deep enough, we don't expose ourselves before the Father, even though he knows all and sees all, just like a parent knows their child, right? But the child comes up and says, Dad, listen, it's all together, everything's worked, nothing's broken. It's like, listen, I heard the sound, I know what's going on. You can't fool me. And yet our Father knows us deeply. He loves us intimately. And prayer is about the depth of honesty. It's about being honest before God. And the psalmist, what I love about the psalms is the depth of honesty, of emotion in God's presence. That often in life, emotions kind of work in two different ways and maybe a mix of that. Like we're either driven by emotion and emotion just kind of takes us and we're on this flow of emotion through life and it's just taken over or we suppress it. And we allow our emotions to be kind of pressed in. We deny what we're really feeling. And what I love about the Psalms is you have these true men and women of God that are just pouring out their heart. They're honest. Unlike me at times where I'm not really quite sure what's going on, David, this true man of God, is pouring out his heart in honesty and depth. And so as we're going through the Psalms, I'm hoping you're beginning to see just a deeper side of prayer. And maybe you're challenged to jump into that stream. One of the challenges I get, I've kind of, we've thrown out over this series is in the morning to pray through a psalm. There's an app called Five Psalms. I don't know if you picked that up, but you can go into that app and it provides five psalms a day. And the idea is to pray through all five. Now, we can start with one, it's okay. And just start with one psalm in the morning and pray through it. And then in the afternoon, I hope you're challenged to jump into the Lord's Prayer. Sometime during the afternoon, just to stand up and say, Our Father who art in heaven, you're my Father, I'm your child, I'm coming before you. You're in heaven, and Lord, I want your kingdom to come. That's a great thing to pray over your day, over my job, over my kids, over my wife, over my husband. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything I have, Father, is a gift for me. And, and forgive us our debts. Help me to go around in life not holding people according to what they deserve, but letting the captives free. And Father, I need your strength to overcome temptation in my life. If you do that, pray in the morning a psalm. Start praying the Lord's Prayer during the afternoon. I think you're going to find a richer life with God because, see, as Christians, we're supposed to be with him. That's the first step. What does it mean to be a disciple but to be with him? Second, we become like him. And then, church, then we can go out and start to do the stuff that Jesus did. So let's jump into Psalm 32 as we discover what does it mean? How do you wrestle with God when you've failed? How, and hear me on this. How you deal with failure says a lot about what you believe about God. How you respond to failures before God says a lot about the God that you believe in. And when we get into Psalm 32, I think you're going to see a rich and deep picture of a man that's willing to let God look into the depths of his brokenness and soul, opening himself fully to the Lord, and then because of that, finding a deeper transformation, healing, and richness of life. So let's jump in. Psalm 32, which is a psalm of confession. And this is a psalm written by David, and it starts off with this, this word, blessed is the one. 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there's no deceit. It's freedom. For when I kept silent, see, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged, I was honest, acknowledged my sin before you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, hey, I'm going to confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. For you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And therefore, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule who are without understanding, which must be curbed by bit and bridle, or they will not stay near. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love of God, he surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we uh, come to this passage, Lord, it's written so many years ago to a man that finds that he's been exposed. He's got a brokenness in his life, and, and Lord, he wants to be covered. He wants to be loved, accepted, healed. He wants to be known. And yet, Father, to be known, he needs to be known in your presence. Holy Spirit, teach us. This is not about gathering in church on a Sunday morning. This is about worship and inviting you, Father, to search us, to know us, to guide us, and through that, Father, to, to truly know you as you are. Meet us here, we ask, in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So how do you respond to failure? Because how you respond to failure says a lot about how you really believe this relationship with God works. You know, and I imagine growing up, all of us had different relationships to failure. Some of us, you know, were more open and honest about what was going on. Others of us, right, when something bad happened, kind of get under the sheets, kind of hide. We all have these. Have you seen, notice that, how your kids, and each one of our kids is so different, and how they deal with failure. But what does it mean you know, to follow Jesus in life and to fail. We fail. Fail in our relationships with others, our relationship with God, our desires aren't right, our needs aren't right. And, and how do you respond in a way that, doesn't, that isn't just sorry for what you've done, but it takes you to a place of intimacy and honesty with God that you actually come out of this prayer changed? And not just because you prayed one prayer, but because you have a practice of confession before God. How do we pray in a way that really takes us to a place that God starts to get into the heart and change us from the inside, change our desires and our thoughts and our patterns. And we're not walking in shame. I'm not what I have done. But God, before you, I want to be exposed and honest because that's the only way God's steadfast love can get by our defenses and begin to help us to recognize that he alone can forgive and cover us. And this is a challenging passage because, listen, we live in a country in a, in a time that, you know, sin, really? You guys still believe in that? You religious people, all wrapped up in guilt, as if the world doesn't carry guilt, right? As if we don't have standards in the world. But that's an issue 
So how do we wrestle with this idea of sin? Well, that's why Psalm 32 is here. It's to help us to wrestle with our relationship with God, which deeply, listen, it changes your relationship with others. The depths to which you're willing to go with God in your confession will heal the relationships in your life. Because if you're fully known and fully loved by God and you recognize that I'm, my shame doesn't cover me anymore, instead it's the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ and his love and the Holy Spirit in me that makes me acceptable before God, then I can be honest before others and I can take ownership of what I have done in my life. Are you allowing yourself to go deep with God? In this series through the Psalms, we want to go deeper. And so the first thing we're going to notice is why confession is important. And then we're just going to kind of go through a practice of what confession looks like. So why is confession important? Again, if you jump back in the passage in verse 1, you see a word that you may find a little surprising in a passage on confession. Because confession is about failure, and yet he says, blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, the word blessed means fortunate. You've got the good life, and yet you failed. You've got the envious life. See, blessedness is this religious word. I I don't know if we use it outside of the church much. I'm so inside the church, I don't even know what people say outside the church. But it's it's kind of a churchy word, but it means it's something that everybody wants. It's, It's why... Companies will pay these ridiculous sums of money to get their ad during the Super Bowl. I love watching the Super Bowl ads. Um, I think, and it's funny, I I like the ad with Will Ferrell. Remember that one? I thought it was hilarious. No idea what they're selling. So I guess it didn't, it really didn't work. But when you watch an ad, what are they selling you? Are they telling you about the benefits of the products? Hey, here's, here's the features. This is how it works. This... Often, they're selling you an image of the good life. And if you have the product, if you have the car, if you have the vehicle, then your relationships are going to be right, and you're going to be happy, and you're going to be smiling, you're going to look like she does and dress like he does. What are they selling is blessedness, because marketers know that's what we want. We want the blessed life, the envious life. And David's saying the envious life is someone who knows their flaws, Now, in the religious life, we think, well, the envious life is one that doesn't have any. That's a lie. The envious life, the blessed life, is somebody that knows the depths of their brokenness. They know they need forgiveness, and they know they are deeply forgiven. They know their character flaws. So imagine that. Do you know the depths of your own brokenness? And someone who is blessed with God knows how messed up they are in their desires and their thoughts. They know that God deeply loves them. They know they need to be forgiven, and they are deeply forgiven. And that's why Jesus said, you know, you know who loves the best? You know who's got it together when it comes to, this is surprising. You know who's got it together when it comes to love? The one that's been deeply forgiven. Wait a minute, doesn't that seem the opposite? Because if I'm deeply forgiven, that means I've really messed up. But see, when you know the depths of your brokenness and you know you have forgiveness, there's a generosity towards others because God doesn't treat me according to what I've done. He loves me and he's welcomed me because of his son. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And then if you look at verse 11, he ends in this celebration. He throws a party And he says, let us be glad in the Lord. Let's rejoice. Let's shout for joy, the upright in heart. 
he understands that God has forgiven him. The blessed life is a life in which you understand your flaws and you're not afraid to address it. And again, in the church, we're not good at this. Often we think in the church, the blessed life is just to never have to admit I've messed up. And so what we spend all our time on is this word sin management. Have you noticed this? I messed up. Okay, okay, how can I keep that from happening? And that's important. Listen, it's good, it's good to do that. But it doesn't change the heart. It actually just, it, it, it heaps shame on top of shame, on top of shame, on top of shame. The heart's not changing. The behaviors might, but the way you're seeing yourself doesn't. And in the religious life, we think the blessed life is, is never having to admit that I've made a mistake. Or sometimes the religious life goes this way. It's not about never having to admit a mistake. I'm too bad to be forgiven. That's a prideful heart. Both are the evidence of pride. One says, hey, I, I, the blessed life, I don't make mistakes. I don't do that. And then the other side is, you know, I'm, I'm so broken. There's no way that God could love me. And both of those are false. And David has found this place where he can be completely exposed and honest before God. Where God has gone, listen, and I want you to know it, the pain, the depths to which God has gone in David's life is a lot deeper than we tend to go. God's cut deep. And because God has cut deep, God has seen everything in his life. He knows what's going on, and yet he has, he has forgiven it. So what's robbing us of this life? Well, I think the simple answer is this word we don't like to use, sin. And what is sin? Well, it's interesting. David actually uses three words. In describing his brokenness, he takes all the Old Testament words that describe sin and he wraps them up all into one passage. So verse 1, blessed is the one, here's one word, transgression is forgiven. Verse 2, whose sin is covered, meaning his failure is covered. How fortunate is the person whose failures are covered. Verse 2, blessed is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whom, whose spirit there's no deceit. Meaning I don't have, I've got freedom. I don't have to hide. And he uses these three words because what David's doing is he's allowing the fullness of his brokenness to be on display. Now, he's not doing that before people. That's a little dangerous if you don't know the people around you to expose some things before them because they're not healthy. But before God, God is healthy. And he says, God, I've got transgressions. I've got sin. I've got iniquity. What do those words mean? First, transgression. This word transgression in the Hebrew is this word pasha. And it's this idea of rebellion. It's not simply just making a mistake. You know the moment. Come on now. I don't care. I don't give a rat's. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to choose where I want to go. I'm going to cross the line. In some way, it's the way I feel when I see a trespassing sign. I don't know if you guys have that kind of rebellion in you, but sometimes I'll see a trespassing sign. And I'll think, you know, I need, to get, I, need that, I need to get right there. And unless that guy has an arsenal and he's nuts, I'm probably going to cross that line. And that's what transgression means, the trespass. It means the cross. It means to go across the line. But it means really not just that you went across. It's like, I don't care. I don't care that you're God. I don't care that you've told me what is good. I'm going to do what I want to do. And David's like, listen, that's me, God. I've got this depth of rebellion where I'm saying, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then the second word is this traditional word, sin. And it's, it's a word in the Hebrew, hata'ah, and it means just simply to miss a mark. And in fact, in the Old Testament, it says the Benjamites, which was a tribe of Israel, they never hata'ah, meaning they never missed the mark, not in terms of sin, but in terms of their slingshots. 
that they were great hunters. And so when it came to, to hunting, they never hata odd, they never missed. So the idea of missing the mark means you were created for a purpose. And if you're created for a purpose, that means that your sexuality does have a purpose, and it's beautiful. Your life has a purpose. Your words should have a purpose. Money should have a purpose, and God's created a design for all of those things. And the reality is, just as we rebel, we also use things in our life in a way simply for us. God, I don't care that you've determined what is right and wrong. I'm going to do that for myself. I'll be the arbiter. I'll be the center of life. And so I'm going to set the lines. I'm going to draw them. And I may miss the mark, which means not using what I have according to your purpose. And that's that concept. Davidson, that's me. Okay, so I'm rebellion. I'm angry. I'm missing the mark. I'm using stuff not for your purpose, but for mine. And then the final one is this beautiful word. And it looks like Avon, like the Avon lady, but it's Avon, and it means iniquity. And here's a word that we've got to recognize as a part of sin. It means that we're twisted. And it actually has this metaphorical meaning that there's a path in life that you take, and the path in life is a straight path. The Avon path is a twisty path. It's a direction that we shouldn't go, but when we start going down, it looks good in the beginning, but then it takes you. What does sin do? It takes you someplace you didn't intend to be. I mean, we found ourselves that way financially, relationally. Have you ever found yourself going down a path and you're like, oh my gosh, I was just going to go 10 feet. And now I'm miles and miles away from where I need to be. That's what a vone means. Iniquity means that I'm twisted. So David's saying, God, listen, it's not just that I have missed the mark. It's that there is rebellion in me. I don't want to do this. Are you honest with God? When you come across his commands, do you tell him, God, I just want to rebel. I want to rebel. I don't care about this. I don't want to love my enemies. I want to use my body how I want to use it. It's about honesty with God. It's not just about listing off the things that I've done wrong. David's saying, God, there is rebellion in me. And yet David's admitting this in God's presence. And then he's saying, God, I'm missing the mark. But here's the reality. I know I'm twisted. I know that even if I stop missing the mark and even if I stop rebelling, I'm not going to get it right because sin is more than just making a mistake. It's just that we're broken, aren't we? We've gone through pains in life. We've been hurt. We've been abused. We've been mad. We've been the abuser. And all of that, realize everybody's sin affects you. And when somebody does something to you and you're not healed from it, you kind of carry that off to someone else. You bring them some twistedness. And you bring them some miss the mark and some rebellion because, see, forgiveness is not just something we need before God, but when anybody does something to us, we carry it. And that's what David's saying. He's going, I'm all twisted up. I've, I've experienced this stuff in life. Do you see what he's doing? He's exposing himself before God, not just what he's done wrong, but saying, God, look at me. See me. See my brokenness. And he's spending time in God's presence. Why is confession important? Because it leads to blessedness. It leads to the good life. Confession is not to be avoided because it leads to rejoicing. You notice verse 11, right? Shout. Why is he shouting? Because he's confessed. Not because sin leads to gladness, but when you're honest and loved. Wow. Have you ever been fully exposed? I remember sitting in a coffee shop one time in that transgression state of rebellion, 
talking about someone else. Not saying kind things. Guess who is sitting behind me? Oh, you feel uncovered, don't you? Have you ever been watched and not realized that, oh, you saw that, did you? How do you feel? Exposed, naked, ashamed. David's getting to that place, not in a negative sense of I've been caught. God, I want you to see me. We don't even do this with each other. Even in the best of marriages, sometimes we don't get there because there's things about us. Listen, we don't want people to see. That's why you wear clothes. We wear clothes because there's stuff I don't want you to see. And, and in some ways, there's things about me I'm ashamed of. And I got to cover myself. And, and if that's true physically, psychologically, it's true in relationships, but it's true spiritually before God. We try to cover ourselves, but the this weird thing is we're trying to cover ourselves from God. And that's why we're not healed. We're not honest. We're religious in mind. I've got it together. Oh, okay, I know I need some advice, all right? Maybe if the pastor just sit down and give me a couple thoughts on that, <laughs> we'll get this thing fixed up. You with me on that? We don't need an advisor. We don't need a teacher. We need a savior. We need a healer that can explain. Why is confession important? Because it's about healing. And so how do we do this? What, what David's doing is he's giving us a process. And this isn't a one and done. Realize this isn't a one and done thing. If there's something in your life you're wrestling with, you've got to really wrestle with God in that place. And so notice what he goes on to see. How do we actually do this and do it in a way that changes us? We've got to do a couple of things. First of all, our confession, verse 5, is to God. Notice he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin. I missed the mark. That's that word. But notice, I'm, I'm saying it to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I'm not trying to shift and blame. I'm not trying to pass the buck. Instead, I'll confess, and here's that word, rebellion to the Lord. And notice, you forgave my twistedness. But he says, the twistedness of my missing the mark. God, I'm confessing to you. Now, here's why this is important. Often we hurt each other. But in hurting each other, the one we most wound is God. We hurt each other. We need to ask for forgiveness from one another. But in hurting someone else, realize that human being is created in the image of God. It doesn't, know, it doesn't matter what they believe or who they follow or whether they trust Christ or not. God loves his creation. He's crowned human beings with glory and with honor. He's made us just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. I don't even know what that means, but it's beautiful. And when we sin against someone, we hurt the heart of God. And he says, God, listen, I've sinned against you. And David understood that because, see, he committed adultery. He took his power, his maleness. He dominated that in life, took Bathsheba and said, I'm going to use you. Not only use Bathsheba, killed her husband, Uriah. So I think if Uriah was listening to this prayer, hey, listen, I've only sinned against you, God. Uriah would say, uh, no, 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 you've sinned against me too, which is true. But see, my brokenness, my guilt, the guilt I carry, it's between me and God. Because here's the reality. There's such a thing as false guilt. Did you grow up in that home? Do you know that person? <laughs> Makes you feel guilty for things that you really shouldn't feel guilty for? There is good, there, but there's also good guilt. I mean, there's people in your life you wish they would have felt guilty, right? Because of the way they treated you. And it's like, you need to feel you some guilt. 
because what you're doing is wrong and how you're treating me is wrong. There is such a good, there's a thing as good guilt and bad guilt. How do you know when you're dealing with good guilt and bad guilt? How do you know when you're just being manipulated? Because the world's gonna tell you, I mean, every decade we got a new standard of good guilt and bad guilt. Hey, listen, the only bad thing in the world is to tell people that Jesus is the way to God. That's, that's bad. But, you know, when it comes to morality, we're just a discover your own path book. Remember those when you're reading page 15? Do you want to go left? Do you want to go right? This really dates me. This is before technology when you had to read, actually, and then you picked up. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and if you went left, you turned to page 55. All right, we got some hit. Thank you. Thank you for meeting me here. And, and that's how we see morality is, is this choose your own path book. But how do we know when we should have guilt that should change us is we have to go to God. We gotta say, God, listen, look at me, expose me. I wanna know where I stand. And see, God is that standard. But see, he's not a standard that crushes, does he? Because here's David, it leads in rejoicing. No, it's a standard that heals and exposes and says, listen, Jason, there's stuff about you you don't want to see, but I wanna show you. But he's gonna show you within the context of acceptance and love, which allows you to accept. You see the beauty of this? Our sin is to God. So that's the first aspect of confession is I'm not just confessing to others. I'm confessing to God. And I'm being honest before him of what's going on in my life. Now, second, you have to name it. And guys, this is critical. He says, I acknowledge, verse 5, my sin to you. I didn't cover it. I didn't spin. I was just open. And I didn't, I didn't try to hide, but I confessed my sin to you. When we try to cover ourselves, we do it often by blaming others for what we do. Yeah, but he caused me, she caused me, or we blame others for how we feel. And the reality is what David's doing is he's naming it. And you know what? This is what Jesus does for us. I don't know if you read the Sermon on the Mount. It's tough. Don't like me, the Sermon on the Mount at times, because see, I want to thank God. Okay, I'm just struggling with a little lust, that's all. Bounce the eyes. You know that technique? Just need to bounce the eyes. You know what Jesus wants to say, Jason? Okay, listen, I know you think it's just a desire, but I, I want to strip off. I want to I expose you. I want you to look into the heart. That lust, you want to use that woman. You, you, it's about you. You want to use that man. You want to use that person. You want to use them as an image. Because, see, what's in the heart is, is adultery. You want to abuse. And that little temptation, I know you think it's just not just little things, normal, red-blooded male stuff. I want you, I want you to go deeper than that. Because it's not enough just to deal with the behaviors. I want to get into the heart. And there is something really broken, is broken in you. And if you allow, do you guys know this? You allow that little desire to just keep going. Remember the path, the twisted path? You know what happens when a little bit of pornography takes over? And you find yourself going down a path and you start going to places and meeting with people and eventually it's called adultery and divorce. And you guys understand that, don't you? But it's just a little lust. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I want you to know from the beginning, this will kill you. And not because you're, not because God's against, he's exposing it to you because he wants you to see yourself and he wants you to know, I see you. You know that, that anger, your hatred towards your enemies? You know, in this culture that we have, certainly politically, it's like a virtue to hate your enemy, uh, right? 
I mean, I don't know any politicians using Jesus' phrase, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. No, it doesn't work because they operate in fear. As Christians, we don't hate our enemy because we were rescued by enemy love. And so when I have hatred in my heart, you know what Jesus says, Jason, it's not just a surface issue. I want to expose you. You know, often what we do, we don't stay there long enough in prayer to let him do that, right? It's like, okay, no, we're not going there. I don't want to be naked because you know that feeling of being exposed. But we have to settle there in God's presence. He says, there is hatred in your heart. There is murder. I want to I get on that level. Yeah, but God, I just, I'm just angry at, no, 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 no. Would you let me in? My steadfast love is for those who trust me. What does it look like to trust? Doesn't it mean to bring somebody in? Are you bringing him in? Church, are we just doing the Jesus churchy thing? Are we walking with God and allowing him to search us? Because out of that, he says, flows a life of blessedness. So the first thing is it's to God, but then you've got you've to be honest. Name it. Be honest with what's going on. Now, third, and this is kind of strange, and you see at the end of verse 5, and it took me a while in this, but we have to confess the sinness of our sin. You notice that at the end of verse 5? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. It seems like, isn't that the same thing? Isn't sin iniquity iniquity? It is. But he's saying when it comes to confession, you got to stop walking in self-pity. And this is true for relationships as well. You've got to stop walking in self-pity. Why is sin sin? Because it breaks the heart of God. Just as in relationships, when you sin against a relationship, what does that do? It breaks the heart of the relationship because in that relationship, there's intimacy, isn't there? Should be love, acceptance. And, and when you sin deeply en- enough against that, you're not just violating a rule. There's, there's, it could take you to a place where you're violating the covenant. And a covenant means a promise. And when you get married, it's a promise. In our relationships, we have standards and promises for one another. And when we sin against it, there's, there's a, a reality that we've hurt the person. And so David's saying, I'm not just sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for how it has impacted you. Have you ever met somebody who said they were sorry, but they weren't sorry? They're just sorry for themselves. There's nothing more painful for somebody who's been through abuse. And you know the person's just sorry because they're a mule. Did you notice that in verse 9? Don't be the mule or the horse. So let's, let's just unpack that. Have you ever been the mule or the horse? What does that mean? Pain comes into your life, and so you change, right? Because what happens, I, I don't know a lot about horses, but I, I know they want to go where they want to go. And they see something, and they, hey, I want to go this way. I, I want to I go find out what this is, and what do you do? You got to kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I guess you guys do that. You pull them. You, you apply some pain. And what does that say? I don't, I don't like that. I still want to go there. It hasn't changed my heart, but the pain is changing my behavior. And this is what happens sometimes in relationships. We'll get to a place where we're sorry, but we're sorry for ourselves because we don't like the consequences. But are you sorry for what you've done to that person? What heals a relationship is when you feel broken for the brokenness you've caused somebody, and you're sad not for yourself, but you're sad for what you've done to them. You know what that does? It's, it's exposing you. 
You're owning it. You're seeing it. And when that happens, there's a real genuine healing. And he's saying, don't be a mule. Your sin is against God. You've broken the heart of God. And yet, who is God? He's the one that wants to pour out steadfast love. He's not one that wants to harm us or condemn us. He wants us to be honest. Church, you see how much deeper we've got to go? And richer and more full and meaningful. Our sin is against God. We confess to him. But we've got to be honest because, see, the reality is, if we just confess at the surface, we're going to be back there in a week. You know what I mean? That idea of, okay, I confessed it, but I'm not changing. It's because we're not going deep enough. We're sorry for the consequences. We're not sorry for how those consequences have broken the heart of God. We confess the sinfulness. And then finally, and here's the last thing, and this is so important. You've got to be careful what you're hiding in. Did you notice as he talks about this, seems kind of out of place. He talks about a mule, and then he goes on. In verse 10, and uh, actually not verse 10, where is it? Verse 7, and he says, God, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Why? Why is this language a metaphor of hiding? Remember, he says, you cover my iniquity. I did not cover up. All of that language, it comes from the book of Genesis. The first parents who fell into rebellion, they transgressed. I don't care. They missed the mark. I'm going to take it, but then they became twisted. And what did they do? Remember? Adam, where are you? This wasn't about a GPS. It's not like God is doing a little hide and seek, and he's like, hey, you're so good. Adam, where are you? Where are you? You're not with me. Do you know that in relationships when somebody's with you, but they're not with you? I don't know you. Where are you? What are you running from? Why are you running from me? And here's what happens. When we find ourselves in sin, we cover ourselves with something. A lot of us use deceit. We lie. We spin. One of our favorite things is, what about? What about? I know this is bad, but what about? What about? We do that in politics perfectly. I know our guy's bad, but what about? It's a lack of honesty, transparency. We run to comfort, sex, pornography. What is pornography about? It's not so much about a sexual desire. It's about the need to be covered. It's intimacy without intimacy. We run to money. We shop. Why? A little bit of covering. Or sometimes a lot of covering, depending on how much it costs. I need me a lot of covering today. All of that is a way of addressing the guilt. Don't you see that? But how beautiful is it when you, you go to God and God is righteous and holy and he could condemn us. Just like when you come to someone else and you know you're guilty, right? Have you ever been there? I've been dead to rights. <laughs> oh, man, you saw me, I'm exposed, and I come and I open, and, and not just because I'm sorry for sin, but I'm sorry for, for what I've done to the person, and you open your heart completely. What happens when they say, I love you. You do? I accept you. That's transformational when it comes to relationships with people, but how beautiful is it when that comes from God? And that's why Paul says, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
He didn't know any rebellion, transgression, iniquity, avon, any of that, missing the mark. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? That we would be covered in the righteousness of God. That what God has done, it's called the new birth through salvation. He stripped us. He's taken it all away. All the brokenness, all the shame, all the hurt that others have done to you, all the ways that we hurt others, he's taken it with Jason. I'm going to clothe you. But you know what? To get clothed, you've got to get naked. I want to strip you down. I want to take away all the false lies and all the brokenness. And you know what we keep doing? Even though we got this righteousness on, we keep putting the parka over that and a hat and another glove and another pair of gloves. We're, we're already covered. And what David's is saying, to the degree that God covers you, to that degree, you're going to walk in honesty and be able to cover others and provide hope for a hurting world. Because the reality is we live in a world where we love to hurt each other. And the people who are best at bringing healing are those who love. Why? Because they know how much they need forgiveness and they've been forgiven. Church, we got to go a lot deeper. And, and you may need to come alongside somebody. This isn't easy. This is just sharing one time walking through this. You got to walk alongside somebody that's been there so that we can walk with each other. And will you be honest before God and being honest before God, allow someone to come in your life that may help you down that path that leads to honesty with others. Hey, let me pray for us. Oh, we're going to celebrate communion. I got excited, guys. Sorry. Hey, if you don't have one of these, please take a minute. I'm going to pray for us. And if you're watching online, sorry, guys, I'm supposed to remind you. Um, just got real excited in this today uh, because I think I needed it. Um, we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, and so as we do, I want to pray for us. It's important when we celebrate communion to really search our hearts. And to invite the Spirit to search us and know us and to be honest with God and before God. Um, and so as you, as we take this time, please, please go out and, and grab the elements and prepare them. Let's just take a few moments of silence and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our rescuer, our healer, our redeemer, our coverer. Holy Spirit, teach us. Expose us. And then, Father, may we, through the power of the Spirit, experience the joy of being covered by you.